Uh, I had an athlete one time told me, I don't like riding. I don't feel comfortable riding over 16 miles an hour. Okay. I took her bike computer away, put it in my pocket and said, let's go ride. And oh, we were holding like 18, 19 miles an hour for like five miles. And she was like, I was like, how do you feel? I don't feel good. I'm like, and we're going to pick it up just a little bit. Okay. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 81. Today I have a very special person. He is the one who got me to the start and the finish line of all my races. I guess minus the one DNF I had at Ohio. But Maurice, or better known as Mo is a triathlete coach. Again, he's the one who taught me how to swim, got me to my first sprint and multiple sprints, Olympics, two half distance, 7.3. Again, the one DNF I had and to um, Ironman Louisville. Maurice Wills holds a BS in accounting from North Carolina A&T State University, another wonderful HBCU where he ran track and field and cross country. He is a USA Triathlon Level 2 coach, certified total immersion swim instructor, certified chi running instructor, and master trainer for heart zones. He is a two-time Boston Marathon finisher, ultra-marathoner, and 11-time full-distance Ironman finisher on five of the seven continents. He has completed more than 10 marathons and numerous triathlons around the world. He has more than 25 years of race experience and over 20 years of coaching experience at all levels and distances. He's coached hundreds of athletes in person and remotely to their finish line goals from 5K to ultramarathon, including 100 plus full distance Ironman finishers. He started coaching a competitive swim team in 2017 and is now a certified lifeguard instructor. He also likes to play in the snow. Something else we have in common. He is an avid snowboarder and skier. And he actually is a certified level one snowboard instructor. He is a co-owner of Infinity Multisport with his business partner, Laura. He also continues to work as a CPA. He can not only coach you through a successful triathlon season, but find you some good tax deductions on your next return please welcome him to the show again thanks for joining me today awesome well thanks for inviting me out to uh come hang out with you okay so tell me what uh, started you running in the first place well i started running in 
I guess, junior high cross country team and track and field in seventh grade because that was one of the teams things you did there and ran all the way through college. So you started with cross country and track or just cross country? Cross country and track and field was the same kind of basically the same coach. So you did one, you did the other one. So what events did you do in track? In high school, junior high and high school, I was a 400 meter runner and a half miler. Uh, so kind of a middle distance. Yeah. And then college, I jumped up to the 1500, half mile and 1500. What was your favorite? Did you have a favorite event in high school and college? 400 was definitely my favorite event in high school. I didn't quite have the college speed to do the 400. So we went to the 800 and 1500. I wish I'd done the 1500 earlier in college. Uh, and was just starting to learn how to run the 1500 by the end of my college season. So yeah. When you say learn, what is the kind of strategy? Yeah, there's a strategy and technique to it, learning, kind of feeling your speed, figuring out what your strengths and weaknesses are compared to everybody else that you're competing against. So I've like in the 400, you go out, you tend to go out fast, relax for a second and then come in with everything left. And so, but with the 1500, you got to go out a little bit more controlled unless you just have the strength to just go out and hold a ridiculous pace for all four laps. So I started to figure out how to go out more controlled because I was going out like it was a 400 and then trying to recoup in the middle and then come back fast. And it was a wrap by then. But yeah. And what other sports did you participate as a child? Let's see. High school, I played football. I played basketball. So football, interestingly enough, I was actually a defensive end for JV, um, which I was a little small on defensive end, but I was fast enough to get around the big guys and still gets the quarterback. And then by varsity, I was a defensive back and wide receiver. So you played offense and defense? More defense than offense, yeah. So when you were in high school, what did you like most, the cross country or the track? Definitely track and field. The distance thing was not me. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, by high school. In high school, I actually didn't run cross country because I was, I was playing football. So the cross country football season combined – I played football. I think my freshman year, I played basketball and realized that everybody had grown and I hadn't. And so that was a wrap. I shifted to indoor track because I was excelling at track. Yeah. So I ran, played football and then ran indoor track and then did outdoor track. So after college, did you continue to run or did you take a hiatus? I took a hiatus more because I got burnt out on it. When you run, when you do any sport, I think you do any sport in college, it becomes more, to a certain extent, it becomes more of a job. Because of the number of hours and the time that you're actually putting into it. So I got burnt down on it. So I kind of took a hiatus. I started, just started getting into high cycling when I was in college. So I continued to cycle. I didn't really run. I lifted. Uh, I had a buddy or two that I worked with that liked to go lifting. So we would go lift and I would bike until 90, 98, 99. My mama decided to call me fat one day. She called you fat or did she, or did she kind of she like... She did it kind of subtle. She was like, hey, so I see you're carrying an extra six-pack around your waist. And it took me five or ten minutes to realize she called me fat. And I was like, oh, I got to get back into running. So I started running, started doing 5Ks. And at the same time, a buddy of mine actually had a free entry to a triathlon. I said, hey, I got this free entry to the triathlon. My company's sponsoring it. You want to do it? And I said, yeah. And that's how I got into the triathlon. Yeah, so I did that one. So was it a sprint? It was a sprint. 
So you know how to swim? Well, you said you've been cycling in college. Did you know how to swim very well? Like, did you take lessons as a child? I took lessons as a, as a child. Um, so that story goes, we were on a vacation, summer vacation somewhere, and at the uh, hotel pool, I went off the diving board, and then apparently my sister saw me go off the diving, diving board and followed me off the diving board, and she didn't know how to swim, so she went down under. My mom doesn't know how to swim. Uh, so my mom couldn't do anything to save her. I obviously was already gone and going to the wall, so I didn't see her. Luckily, some guy saw her go under and not come up. Went and grabbed her, just pulled her up. You know, she was, I don't know, three or four. And my mom immediately came back home and put us in swim lessons at the Y. <laughs> I knew how to swim enough to get back to the, the edge, the basic stuff or whatever. You know, I was comfortable in the water. But then by, I think, sixth grade, I did swim team for one summer at the local pool. But... That was it. And getting up that early in the morning to go swim in a cold pool was not my thing. So I could swim enough. <laughs> yeah. I got you. So what was the most difficult part of, I guess, your first triathlon? Oh, by far the swim. Most people find it swimming. No question but, it was the swim. Know. I was, you know, I was a cyclist. I was cycling. I could ride, you know, I was riding 25 to 40, 50 mile routes with riding clubs at that time, you know, we were, I would come home and ride with my cousin. We'd go through a group in Rock Creek Park in DC, which they went through Rock Creek Park at 25 to 30 miles an hour to the point where cars would literally pull over and let us go by because they couldn't drive through Rock Creek Park as fast as we could bike through it. And I had my running background from college. So where our warm up was a 5K, even though I hated long distance wasn't my thing. I mean, you know, we warmed up with a 5K and we were probably doing 80 plus miles a week as middle distance runners. So, and we ran cross country in college so middle distance and long distance runners had to run cross country anyway. So, so yeah, I had that base there. Uh, so by far it was a swim. So after the first race, triathlon race, did you enjoy it? Did you see them stick back to running? Or how did you progress? I had a ball and got hooked. So my first race, interesting, interesting enough was, the day after my best friend's wedding. So we had a wedding on a Saturday and I had a race on Sunday. So uh, I showed up at the race. Uh, this is before you had to show up with your ID and all this funky stuff. This was in 2000. So I showed up at the race and had called my friend who was supposed to do the race, ended up out of town to another event. So I called one of his buddies that we grew up with that I kind of knew, but really didn't know. I said, hey, can you pick up my race packet? So I missed the race talk and all that good stuff. Bought a wetsuit the day before, it never, or two days before, it never swung. Two days before, I bought the wetsuit on Friday. We had a wedding on Saturday, was in best man in the wedding on Saturday and did a race on Sunday. Off my cousin's bike, not my bike, because I didn't feel like shipped my bike to, from, I was living in Atlanta and the race was in Maryland, so I wasn't going to ship my bike to Maryland. So I borrowed my cousin's bike, which was probably one size too big, but got it close enough. But got down there, we hopped in the swim, never swam in a wetsuit before. And, she, you know, everybody tells you that story. Let everybody go out. You're going to be kicked in and swimming over top of you. So I let everybody go out. And, of course, there was a couple cats that were slower than me. So I was like, oh, I need to get by them. So I picked up the pace a little bit and got winded. But then I started freaking out because I couldn't breathe because I wasn't used to this tight wetsuit on my chest. So I was like, all right, calm, talking to myself in the thoughts, like calm down. And so I was like, okay, just, you know, put your head down, follow the black line. Then I realized I'm not in the pool. There is no black line. 
<laughs> there are no black line. Yeah. So you didn't have much open water experience before that race. Other than Boy Scouts in sixth grade, no. And playing around swimming in the ocean a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, no. Just relax and just find your stroke, find your rhythm. Then I realized that I, I couldn't get my shoulders around, probably because I didn't pull the wetsuit up right. So my arms are flapping. So I'm like, I can't breathe. I can't see. And I can't get my stroke right. I quit I'm going in. So I popped my head up and looked back and realized I was two, 250 yards away from the shore. I was like, that ain't going to work. <laughs> so I just, I don't know. I probably did some breaststroke or something else and eventually finished the race. We came back the next year, did the same race. And we were there the day before for the race talk. And the race director was like, hey, you know, we got kayaks out there for your safety. If you don't feel comfortable, you can grab on a kayak. I'm like, ah, I didn't know that. That would have been nice to know last year. <laughs> and like. They're like, hey, if you can't get the kayak, we got the buoys out there to mark the course. You can hold on the buoys. They won't go on the water. As long as the kayak's not advancing you and the buoy's not advancing you, we're not going to, you won't get DQ. Matter of fact, you're not going to win the race anyway, so we don't care. I was like, well, that would have been nice to know. And then he was like, well, if you can't get the kayak and you can't get the buoy, he's like, just stand up. It's only four feet deep the whole way. Me, me and my boy did not know that. He did elementary backstroke the whole race last year. He was like, dude, I could have stood up. Like, we could have, we thought we was going to die. He's like, I just stand up. He's like, we just shook our heads. We're just like, oh, we feel like idiots. So, but yeah, no, I was, I was hooked from the first year. It was fun. It was a good change up from running, doing all the, putting all the three sports together. Yeah. So I had a good time and continue to do them. So what was your, what's your favorite aspect of doing triathlons? As in looking at the three events in themselves? No, just, just in general. Why triathlons? What makes you enjoy them? Is the challenge? Is the, you know, put three sports together. That's that that makes it hard. It's just no race. It's the same. But. I think it's some combination too. Some of some of it's the challenge. Uh, some of it is you know I potentially have maybe I think everybody growing up that was in some way shape or form smart has some form of ADD. Back in the day, it was basically we were the problem kids to the teachers, but we had teachers smart enough just to know to bring extra work to class because we finished our work early. So I was one of them kids. So it removes the boredom of just running. So I, I, you know, I'm a runner. I love running. I enjoy running. It's a form of meditation for me as well. But for example, in Chicago, most people, your quickest run is a good on the lakefront run. And after you've done that for a couple of years, you're like, it's the lakefront. I know where every mile market is. I know where the curves are in the hills. And there's a certain monotony or boredom to it. Triathlons, as soon as you get tired of one sport, you're switching up and you're doing another one. So there's always something changing up. Just gives more room for growth and improvement. So how did you get into coaching? I got hoodwinked. Second year doing triathlons. I had just done a triathlon. I liked it. I just moved to Chicago and went skiing at the Black Ski Summit. Met a now good friend of mine who was staying in the house with one of my buddies, my ski buddies. Say, man, you just moved to Chicago. One of my housemates from Chicago. She does triathlons, yada, yada, yada. Introduced to her. She introduced me to her personal trainer. We went and worked out. I told him I'm doing triathlons. He was like, dude, I got a triathlon club that meets in my gym. I was like, that's awesome. I was looking for a triathlon club. Called called my, called that guy up, who's now also a good friend of mine, and said, hey, this is where I am. I ran cross-country in college. Biking's good. I need to work on swimming. Looking for a club to join. He said, cool. We meet on Sundays. Come out. I showed up, and there were 50, 60 women and two other guys plus me. And I was like, this is not a bad picture, but something's wrong with this picture. 
And 10 minutes <laughs> later, I'm standing up in front of them as their new running coach. I coached running a little bit, helped out. I helped out with track clubs or with my college coach, coach uh, youth track in the summertime. So I come out and help coach him, help coach his kids running track and field. Uh, same thing when I was in college, I come back in this. If I came back from the summertime, I'd help my old summer track club and coach those guys. So I coached running for track and field, but not the longer type stuff. Uh, but I had an idea of how to build programs and stuff like that from what we did in college. Uh, and then just doing some more research, but the deal was, Hey, help me on the running part. Cause that's not my thing. And maybe a little bit on the biking and I will teach you the swim technique that you need for swimming. And so that's how I got into total immersion. Team Dream. So Team Dream is, which is a birth child really of TriMasters, which is a kids program in Chicago. Bernard Law's program. And then Team Dream is Derek Milligan's program, which actually came from TriMasters. But yeah, so I got hoodwinked by Derek and the coaching TriMasters. Him and Bernard and Derek were the other two guys in that room at that time. And Derek still laughs about that. He's like, yeah, I got you. <laughs> So how did you branch from just coaching to running to coaching? Everything? Uh, well, when I started working with Team Dream, I would start doing that. I was doing, I was like, well, you guys don't have any training programs. There's not, they just kind of go out and bike and run. I'm like, this is not how we should train. They should be doing intervals and tempo runs and all that. So I started doing all the research and designing actual full blown training programs for Team Dream for them to do and looked up and realized I was on the internet to, you know, one, two, three o'clock in the morning and on spreadsheets, making up these training programs are like, Oh, I really like this. So then that got me more into team dream and working with those guys came to my friend Sonia, who was the one who indirectly introduced me to Derek through phenomenal fitness with Sean Armstead and, and all that came to her and said, Hey, I want you to head up this, this group. And Sonia was like, Mo has all the knowledge and skills so I wanted to be all women. She was like, that's nice, but I'm not doing it without Maurice. And so she was okay. So I was the only, I think I was the only male coach ever for the Dance Kids Women Triathlon Training Series. Okay. And so that was up to, usually their race was in July. We had a big group. They had fun, had a blast, learned in July, did their race in July. And they were like, this is awesome, but it's the first weekend in July. We got the rest of the summer. And so... We basically created next level multi-sport, which is now infinity multi-sport to train the women through the rest of the summer. And it just kept that going. Yeah. So when did you connect with Laura? Laura and I connected. So with next level multi-sport, I started doing chi running and total immersion and doing a lot of coaching and clinics and things like that. And I had a speed workout session that I was doing and I was doing a little bit of work with well fit as well too. So I was kind of moonlighting everywhere. Whoever wanted to pay me for coaching, I was doing so. Uh, but I also had my own thing. So when well fit came along, um, Sorrell was like, Hey, I want to start a track program. I'm like, okay, I'm starting one. He was like, I'll combine the two, but the women's program is mine. I said, fine, we'll put it under well fit at that about that time. Laura came in because she was coming from, uh, together we try. And started, she started running the Olympic program for WellFit. I ran the sprint program for WellFit and the track workouts for them. Uh, so that's how we connected up. Uh, we eventually just kind of came to a crossroads with WellFit. So we ended up splitting off and knew the owner of Mox when Mox got all, all the way to Multisporter. Mox got bought, started up. 
said, Hey, we just, we're starting out mics. We got a basement. You guys want to do your own thing here? And we were like, yeah, let's do that. So we started up in 2010 together and basically took next level multi-sport and just changed the name into infinity multi-sport. Where do you get the name infinity? I think Laura and I just kind of went back and forth and I don't remember. I don't, we were brainstorming different stuff. Um, and infinity came up and she's like, okay. And we had a guy help us design the logo. And she's like, I don't want the infinity design as a logo. It's got to be something else. So somehow we came up with this little, the eye with the swooshes and the circle, which to mm-hmm. me looks like the Incredibles, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> what do you find the most rewarding aspect of coaching? I think for me, the most rewarding aspect of coaching is helping somebody accomplish a goal, uh, in particular goal, which either in the forefront or the back front of their mind, they didn't think they could achieve. So if you say, Hey, I want to do an Ironman, but as I'm talking to you, I know you don't believe you can really do it. You're like, this is something a real stretch for me. The, the ability to help you accomplish that goal to get you to that, whatever that happens to be. It's like, oh, I want to go ride a hundred miles to get you to that. Or I want to finish an Ironman or I want to do a marathon, get you that and help you accomplish that goal. I think that's the most rewarding achievement. Seeing you be able to do something that you couldn't do six months or a year ago or, you know, or, or however long ago, I get happy just seeing you. If I'm teaching a new person how to swim and they get a perfect triple switch down, I, I almost cut in a backflip. So really Your triple switch makes I, you that excited. You have not seen me just jump up and down when somebody nailed their first triple switch and it was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Even with my, I coach little kids the same thing with the first couple of days. They're like, they get in the pool and they don't know. And they're like, Coach Bones yelled at me. He was all mad. And some of the coaches pull him aside like, no, that's how Coach Bones is with everybody. He's not mad at you. He's just yelling because he knows your head's on the water. Oh. I said, was he happy when he's yelling? Was he mad when he's yelling? <laughs> so he was really happy. He's like, well, what did you do? He's like, well, I did a really good single switch. He said it was perfect. So he was happy about that. And they're like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. Just helping you accomplish a goal and progress your whatever your athletic goals and desires are. Yeah. So, what do you find the most challenging aspect of coaching? Getting the athlete over their mental barriers. So, I heard a coach say this other time. He was like, "I won't ask you to do anything that you're not physically capable of doing." And so, if I say, "Hey, let's go. We're gonna go out and ride 100 miles." Based on what you've done and what I've seen you do or looked at the program and watched you do it through the numbers and everything, I already know you can do 100 miles. If I'm saying, let's go ride 100 miles, you may not feel comfortable and confident you can do 100 miles, but I already know you can do 100 miles. So the, it's getting you over that mental barrier of saying, hey, let's go. I want you to go do this. And you're saying, oh, I don't know if I can do that or I can't do that. And I'm like, don't tell me what you can't do because I already know you can do. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at what you're doing. I'm looking at how you're performing. I already know what you're capable of doing. I just got to get you over the mental barrier. You know, I had an athlete one time told me she, I don't like riding. I don't feel comfortable riding over 16 miles an hour. Okay. I took her bike computer away, put it in my pocket and said, let's go ride. And oh, we were holding like 18, 19 miles an hour for like Five miles. And she was like, I was like, how do you feel? Oh, I feel good. I'm like, and we're going to pick it up just a little bit. Okay. And we're riding. I said, ask your buddy what, how fast we were going. He was like, dude, we were just doing 19 miles an hour. She's like, no way. I'm like, 
I mean, we've been on 19 for the last half hour. <laughs> Here's your bike computer back, you know. I got to take that bike computer off and I need you to get off the brakes. So, yeah, it's getting over those mental hurdles that, you know, I already know you have the physical skills or I can give you the physical skills to it, but the mental, the mental part of that is just way tougher to get through. So you have to play Jedi mind tricks to get people over their, their inhibitions. One of my clients said, who is a psychologist, she was like, yo, you're using psychology on me. I'm like, okay, yeah, I am. So apparently I'm a sports psychologist and psychologist is just as much as it's part of coaching. But I mean, and it's probably a bigger part of coaching is to get you over those mental hurdles and get you to believe that you can actually perform at the level you're performing at. Uh, particularly as adults, we don't like pain. We don't, we don't like to push, we don't like those pain thresholds. So a hard workout, like, oh, that hurts. I'm like, it doesn't hurt that bad. It's only going to hurt for like two or three minutes. You up 24 hours a day, three minutes is nothing. You 30 minute track workout. You're like, oh, I hate that because it's so hard. I'm like, but it's 30 minutes. They're like, yeah, I actually feel better after it's over. And I didn't realize how I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Um, so it's getting over those mental hurdles of as soon as you feel the pain, pull back. And most people pull back way too far. It's like, no, as soon as you feel that discomfort, pull back just a little bit. Find that small amount to pull back instead of pulling back uh, too super comfortable. In season five, we will continue the segment as the dog. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal health, please email me, send me a message via social media, or click on my website and leave an audio message. Select messages will be answered on the segment. So do you feel that you're, since you started coaching, you change your approach to your personal training or not really? I know more now what's a must do and what's a, what's just the added bonus, what I have to do and what I want to do. So I know where I can, cheat's not the best, that's where, where I can miss a workout and still be okay. And I know where my athletes can miss a workout and still be okay. So, you know, I tell them all the time, I'm like, Hey, if you do 50% of my training program, you're going to finish the race. If you get through 50% of my training program, you're going to finish the race. If you get through 80 to 90%, you're going to have like one of your best performances ever. And I've had both. Like I've had clients who are like, yo, I nailed 90% of your workouts and first race, they go out and they drop some phenomenal time. And then I've had clients like, yeah, work was rough, blah, blah, blah. Actually I did the year before I did like X amount of your workout and I did really good, but you said 50%. That's about all I got. You're going to finish the race. It's going to be okay for you. Dude, I finished the race on 50% of your workout. That's ridiculous. And I was comfortable. So I know what, so for me, I know what I must do and then what I need to do to get to the next level. And then I know some different things that I can do just based on my fitness level and where I'm coming from that I probably won't push somebody else into. Like I can go out and ride a hundred mile bike ride for five or six weeks in a row. And that's going to give me a huge cardio boost. But for most people, that's, they're going to break down on that. So I'm not going to have you go through that. So do you find your personal accomplishments more fulfilling or your clients when they achieve their goals to be more fulfilling to you? I think now it's more my clients' goals are more fulfilling. My goals right now are probably harder to reach. So, you know, I... 
it'd be great to go qualify for Kona, straight out qualify for Kona at a race. That's your goal? That's one of your goals, right, presently? Past goal is always still back in there, but the amount of work that I need to put in to do that, I don't have the time to do, or I haven't made the time to do. So is it hard to do your own training with coaching, or is it hard to kind of balance it, and then your accountant? It's a, yeah, it's a hard balance, um, particularly the way I coach, uh, which is not how most people coach. So I go out on a lot of training rides with my clients and, you know, I'm doing some workouts with them. And so on a training ride with my clients, I'm not going to be going necessarily depend on the day, the pace that I need to be going for my training ride to get my workout in. And so I have to do different things. Like, let's say if it's a hilly course, I'll do. I'll decide that day, all right, I'm going to do the entire ride in my little ring and my easiest gear. So I'm working on cadence the whole day. So I have a different focus or I'm going to do the entire ride in my big ring and the hardest gear I could possibly do the course in. So I'm working on strength training, even though I'm going at a way slower pace. Uh, so I'll find ways to get a workout out of it. It may not necessarily be the exact workout I needed for that day, but to get something out of it. But yeah. What else are your goals other than Kona? What are your personal goals as far as racing? One of the goals, hopefully, the plan is to finish up in October is to do an Ironman on all continents. So Barcelona will be continent number six for me. There's kind of two other races, at least two other races that I want to do. One is Rolf's Challenge Rolf, which is in Germany, which I heard is a phenomenal race. I heard it was hard, like one of the hardest in it, or no? I don't know. I need to go back and look at the bike course. I think it's a, it's probably a fairly hilly bike course, which is not too big of an issue for me. And then the other one is Lanzarote, which is uh, the Canary Islands, which is a Spanish territory off the coast of Africa, which is one of the hardest courses on the uh, Ironman circuit. So those are two races that I kind of want to go to. So those are on the bucket list to do. You've done how many full? 11 fulls. Yeah. 11 fulls and 13, somewhere between 13 to 15 half Ironmans. And I don't know how many short courses. So what's your favorite full? Favorite full? I don't know, different ones for different reasons. So in South Africa, that was cool because it was South Africa and it's just different. Like literally you're out on the bike course and you look up and you see monkeys run across a, a power line. Uh, and then you come blazing through an area, you see some ostriches running around and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm not in the States anymore. And just being in South Africa, a lot of Africans in South Africa look and they're like, Oh, it's cool to see there's a different feel when they see you see you racing as a person of color. So that was really cool. Brazil was a really fun race. More of a party atmosphere there. Really cool and fun race to do. A lot of them are on the bucket list. Ironman Canada up in Penticton. Phenomenal course. It's one loop. 112 mile bike loop. Some longer climbs, like five to six mile side, five to seven mile climbs. The last 12 miles is, there's a five, I think it's a five mile climb and then a seven mile climb or seven mile climb and a five mile climb. And then the last 12 miles are downhill. Like I did the last 12 miles in average 24, 26 miles an hour. And that was probably with coming off the mountain at 40. But yeah, so that was a beautiful course. Phenomenal, phenomenal race. Spectator wise, the best one spectator wise so far has been Ironman Wisconsin. Spectator wise? I mean, it's just the people that, as far as racing out there, you got people yelling and screaming and cheering you on. Pretty much the entire race course. Yeah. I mean, you get some, some dry patches, but as soon as you, 
by the time you need to get pumped up, you'll run into some people and they'll start pumping you up. And the run course, you same thing. You got good to that run course. We got a lot of people out there cheering and screaming and yelling for you. So kind of keeps you pumped up that whole course. So what's your most challenging out of all your 11 races? Most challenging without question was Ironman Philippines. Now why? The heat? It was 124 degrees. 124. What was it like the real film? It was, it rained. So the, the swim was this, the water had to be 85 degrees in the swim because it felt like bath water. I was literally hot with only a, a speed suit on. I was cooking in that swim, got on the bike course and then it, a thunderstorm on the bike course. And then after the thunderstorm, it went up to 120 something, 124 degrees, which means all the water evaporated really fast to the point where it's literally steam coming off the road. And I inhaled one time and started choking. <laughs> yeah, that was the first race I literally sat down for. I think I sat in an A station for an hour just to cool off because I was just like, my body's not ready. Two miles in on a, on a run, I was like, I'm going to have a seat in the shade in that chair right there and just hang out. So how did you prepare for that? It was hard. So uh what I did was I, I would ride with one or two long sleeve shirts on when I'm riding indoors, wouldn't put a fan on. Um, so I was riding a lot warmer, uh, preparing for the best I could there. Once we got outside, I started watching the weather and I it was, I was able to take a day or two days and sneak down to, uh, like Peoria. Is it Peoria? I think it was Peoria. I rode down, went down there, found a course and it happened to be like, 90 degrees. I'm like, okay, 90. I can go down there and at least shock my body with this 90 degree temperature. It still wasn't enough for 124 degrees, but. Yeah, but closer. Would you do that race again? I would do it again. I kind of learned some things that I have to go do some research on. Like the locals down there literally had ice vests when they came out in the run. Uh, so they had these vests, full black vests, and they had pockets and they could fill up every pocket with ice. And so while they're running, the ice is just dripping down and keeping their entire body cool. And I think that would have made a huge difference. I mean, the swim was, you know, it was warm, but it was phenomenal. I was, can't remember where I was. I was probably top 10, something ridiculous, like top 10 in the swim. And I was moving pretty good on the bike on that course. It was a decent bike course on a highway. It was, uh, fair, it was rolling, but fairly flat. It was a flatter bike course. And the run was pretty flat. It wasn't like, Chattanooga hilly or anything like that. It's more like Ironman Wisconsin type run. Uh, just hot. But yeah, I, I'd be open to doing that one again. I've only repeated one so far. The only race I've actually repeated was uh, Ironman Canada. I did, did Canada twice, but all the rest of them just once. Why did you choose to repeat that one? Some combination. I, I was able to get in that one. It was kind of the last minute I was able to get into. Oh, we were doing it as a... I did it the first time as final race and we were doing it as a fundraiser for TriMasters. Three or four of us doing that race. We were able to get, I was able to get people in some comp slots and we just raised money for TriMasters on it. So yeah. Okay. Cool. So what is a life lesson that you learned, I guess, in the midst of racing? Whether it be running or triathlon? Have the patience and confidence to hit the reset button. Uh, in a nutshell, and you know, so particularly triathlons, you you got three different sports, and you could go out in the swim, and it be you know all of a sudden the windstorm blows in, and now the water that was flat is seven to eight foot white caps. Well, your swim's going to suck that day, <laughs> but you can't get out and look at your watch and say, oh, 
I had a crappy swim. I'm pissed off and I've blown my race. You know, everybody probably had a crappy swim. You know, it happened to us. Matter of fact, it happened to us in Brazil. The buoy, they didn't anchor it properly on the bottom and it blew off course. Two of the swim buoys, the turn buoys blew off course. So we swam an extra 600 yards our second lap. And I was like, extra 600. And so I got out. I was all pissed off. I was like, how did I? Because my first lap was good. I'm like, oh, I'm on time. I'm going to hit my goal. Got out of the second lap. I'm like, I lost 10, 15 minutes. What? How did I do that? And so I was pissed and went out on the bike too fast. I went out hard on the bike trying to make up this time, which I shouldn't have. I should have just gone right back to my plan and hit the reset button. And, all right, swim's over. Hit the reset button and go back to my race plan. But I went out, then turned around and went out hard on the bike. Had a pretty decent bike, but by the time I got the run, I was cooked. Oh, okay. okay. Your legs. I was cramping a little bit and got in the run. And then my nutrition was off because I went out so hard on the bike. Got the run, got the point that I was bunk. I at least had the consciousness enough effort on the run to say, oh, nutrition's uh, off and I'm starting to bunk. And I slowed down. I started walking, got my nutrition back on. All the guys that I had met down there and something, hey, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm just a little bonk just a little bit. I'll be back. And so I, in essence, pushed the reset button, allowed my body to reset. Once I felt good, I gave it another five or 10 minutes and then went back to running and caught up to all these guys that I had met. They were like, dude, we've never seen anybody come back like that. And they're like, how did you do that? And I'm like, oh, I knew I was bonking. I stopped before I fully bonked. Started feeding myself, got the nutrition back in and, and recovered the race. I had a client do the same thing. It was uh, Ironman Louisville when they had it in August and 100, he was racing 110 degrees. And I was just looking at his splits and I could tell his splits on the bike that his nutrition was off. I'm like, oh, he, he just died. So I called his wife. I sent his wife a text message and said, tell Mike he's not allowed to run for five miles. He needs to eat everything on every A station, but he has to walk for five miles. And they have a really, unique dynamic relationship and he cusses back at her and she was like oh let me restate that coach mo said you're not allowed to run for five miles you need to eat everything on every aid station coach mo said that yeah okay thanks baby and went off and walked and when he got done he's like if you had told me before the race i can eat my way back into an iron man he's like i'd have never believed you He's like, I literally ate my way back into that. Iron. He was like, I was done when I went out on the run. He was like, I wasn't on this race. You literally made me eat my way back into the race. I was like, yeah, we hit the reset button. We had enough time. We can hit the reset button and let you go. So, yeah, so that's a life lesson I think you could do in everything. You know, you start going down the wrong path and whatever your day is at work, it's having the patience and the confidence to say, let me stop and take a step back. And go look at this from a different perspective. Go hit the reset button. If I miss something. You know, you're cranking your numbers. You're like, something's off. Be patient. Take your breath. Take a breath. And then go back to the beginning and hit the reset button and go back. You're trying to, as opposed to pushing through it and just getting frustrated and being ready to throw something at a wall, through a wall, which is where you see a lot of people get to, ah, you know, you see, I've, I've seen it on races. I've seen it where a guy picks the bike up and they just throw it. They're done it. Oh, yeah. Really? I would never throw my bike. I'd be mad on them throw my bike. It's too expensive. Cats throw bikes, and I'm like, <laughs> that's that's ten thousand dollars you throwing across the course right now. Like, no, like, no, like, like, no, it's not, it's, else, no. It's not worth that much energy. Just take a breath. 
you know. But so, yeah, hitting the reset button is, is I think, the biggest thing I've learned. So a part of my podcast is to have guests who've overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. Can you tell about an obstacle that you had to overcome, whether it be in life, running, triathlons, coaching, or your own personal racing experience? I think we kind of talked about one in racing. Like my first race, just getting through the swim was definitely an obstacle. I've done it so many times in triathlons and definitely in Ironmans. Hitting that reset button uh, is particularly for long course races, you start to figure out nutrition. And when you don't pay attention to it, you end up, you've seen the races where you see somebody collapse 10, 20 yards from the, from the finish line and, and crawling in. So trying to figure things out like that and constant, which is just a constant evolution and constant, constant learning process is definitely one that I continue to work on. I think nutrition in general is an obstacle for probably everybody in life. Just not trying to do it too big. A lot of people try to go big with it. And instead of taking smaller baby steps, I find works way better. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to go on this diet and I'm going to cut out everything that I love 100% for six weeks. All right, that's great. Then six weeks in a day, they consume everything they just cut out. Well, that kind of defeated the purpose. Well, how about we go on a modified thing for two weeks? And then after that two weeks, you pick one thing and you're going to cut that one thing out for life or for a year. So I know the first time I did, like, uh, I do the Daniel fast a couple of times, maybe one or two times a year. Uh, but the first time I did the Daniel fast, I said, okay, I'm going to cut out one thing. And I think the one thing I picked, cut out was soda. I was going to cut out pop for, and carbonated sodas and all that stuff. And I did that for seven, eight years. Easy. Cause once I cut it out, I was good with it and it was gone. And then I did it again a year later. I was like, okay, I'm going to cut out milk. I couldn't cut out dairy because I like cheese too much, but, but I could cut out milk. And I cut out milk and started doing soy milk and almond milk. So if an adult Mo could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you? What advice would you give yourself? Probably continue with your passion. So accounting wasn't your passion? No, I think athletics, athletics and, you know, unbeknownst to me, coaching and performing and, and those things were my passion. You know, people, friends who know me, you know, I kind of have a knack for fixing things. So biomechanics, I like the biomechanics of swimming and running and even cycling, which is more of an engineering mindset than an accounting mindset. I chose accounting because it was the one class I could fall asleep in high school, wake up, answer the question and have it right and then go right back to sleep. <laughs> Really? <laughs> when we graduated to no lie, I, when we graduated college, we said it was five or six of us sitting all together, me and my good buddies all in the county, and we looked at each other and we like, we just wasted four years on the long major. I think, I think I'm the only one still doing accounting out of that crew. Yeah. One, one's in economics, another one's in catering and hospitality, another one's just in, uh, kind of just general business management. But yeah. They're all over, but yeah. Only two of us went into accounting, like got our CPAs. I don't even know if the other one got a CPA. I might have been the only one to get the CPA out of all of them and probably the only one still doing it. But yeah, had I done it over again, I would probably be doing something more fitness related. So any last minute words of advice for my listeners about triathlons running or just life in general? You know, find something fitness wise or uh, related that you can do and have fun at uh, and enjoy, mainly because you're not getting paid to do it. So if you're not having fun, then there's no reason doing it. That's typically my first goal for every client that I have. Goal number one is to have fun. Goal number two is to finish. 
Uh, so you can feel that sense of accomplishment. And then goal number three and four, you can put in whatever you want in there, whether that's time or distance or whatever. But, and, you know, be patient with yourself because whatever you're trying to accomplish, you know, or wherever you're trying to get back to, you didn't get to that point overnight. It took a while. And by a while, I probably mean years to get there. So you ain't going to get back to that spot in days, weeks, or months. We're a microwave society. We like to stick it in the microwave, push two minutes and have it be done. And, you know, this is not a microwave process. This is a, a you got to make it a lifestyle and be patient with it. It's got to be at least half the time that it took you to get to where you are to get back to where you want to be. If it took you five years to put on, let's say, all that weight that you want to drop, give yourself at least two and a half to get it off. If you want to stay off, you know, you can probably get it off in three months. Ain't going to stay off. <laughs> be patient with yourself. Celebrate the small victories. Good advice. Good advice. Where can people find you? You can find me at infinityeffect.com on the web. Instagram is infinity effect on Facebook. If you do infinity effect or infinity multi-sport, we should pop up there as well too. You'll see the logo. Uh, and if you just Google Mo Wills and triathlon coaching Chicago, I'm sure I'll pop up. Well, I appreciate you again. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, Please email Run It Is Cheaper Than Therapy, OLB, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's Run It Is Cheaper Than Therapy, Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. OUI Life, OUI Love. Thank you, and please tune in again.